Get Heavy Podcast, hosted by Craig Casamas and John Scheimer. Hey, what's up, guys? Welcome back to Get Heavy Podcast on another beautiful evening here. Uh, tonight, Scheimer won't be joining us. He's out of town doing work or vacation or I don't know what he's doing, but he can't make it. So uh, I have my uh, buddy, Mr. Larry White, uh, Oxnard legend, uh, musician, drummer for um, Aggression, Stalag 13, uh, Dr. No, you name it. He's been in it. He started 1,600 bands already uh, since we started this podcast. Um, anyway, uh, how are you, man? I'm great, man. Thanks for having me, Craig. Uh, uh, thanks for being here. Uh, I, I was, we were talking earlier, but how, uh, how much, how it's been very nice hanging out with you and getting to really know you. We did a romantic bike ride, so that was cool. Um, shared some cigars and some good stories and we realized, I realized how small Ventura really is, <laughs> you know, when we were talking. Yeah, that's the, that's the funny thing that we rarely get to hang out in a setting besides the nightclub or the, the big venue or whatever it is. And, and to, and then we're not like so close that we like go to each other's houses yet. It's happening, but it will. to yeah, a bike ride and really just chat and kind of touch on your background, my background, um, who we know, where we've been. It, it was really fun, man. That was super cool just to realize the me growing up here, the people that I know are connected to you. And it's, it's really, it's, it, I came home and I, I shared, I said, man, I'm like kind of freaking out. This is so cool. <laughs> yeah. It's crazy because you know, it's so easy. Like when you are a musician to make those like, and I'm not like, not everyone's fair weather, but I say that in a respectful way, you know, like you I can, I know 200, 300 people by name and passing, you know what I mean? And it is very rare that, you know, you really, my, my group of friends is about two people, you know what I mean? So when you really like get to know someone, uh, you know, outside of your circle, that's technically in the scene or whatever, it's always so nice. Cause there's so much, everyone has so much in common, you know, especially in such a small town like this, you know, everyone's played with each other. We're all sluts. You know what I mean? Is what, is what it really is. I've always called myself a drum slut and I still think I'm that way, but yeah, you're right because we've spent so much time together in the nightclub setting or the venue setting or the, you know, punk rock bowling and Vegas setting, but those are just, uh, they're, they're short intimate moments where we're enjoying why we're there. We're watching bands. We're listening to music. Um, you know, we don't really sit down and go, Hey, uh, so you played with this and you started in this, field and in this instrument and so we really have never done that and so that's why I just since I had heard about the fucking rap and knowing John and your circle of people realizing some of them are tied to my family and um, just always was so impressed with the sounds that have continued from the 80s when you know early 80s when I started playing with it and just so impressed and and I just again I love that fucking rap and it just uh, you know every time I saw you I was just fucking rap fucking rap like <laughs> and you're like trying to get the bear to react but you're just so uh, humble you're like hey man what's up so we've never really just sat and been like cool man what do you yeah. do yeah <laughs> yeah yeah it's it's weird because you can create like real friendships on these very short moments you know what I mean yeah. like and I always wonder too like you know I've been playing punk rock and metal for twenty years. 
you got 40 in the game, dude. So, like, how often is it that someone comes up and says something to you and you're all, no idea, dude. <laughs> you know? Aimless self-promotion metal. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah. But, I mean, I, I am constantly, 20 years, someone's like, hey, 10 years ago, like, do you remember this? I'm like, not at all. Don't remember it at all, you know? But I'm real good at faking it now, you know what I mean? Like, I'm the same. I've had so many people come up over the years and, hey, Larry, you remember this? And we did that. And I, I feel so bad. It's the first thing I think when they say, hey, remember me, Joe? And I go, uh, do I owe you money? Uh I, I, you know, and I feel like, did I make off with your sister? And is this going to get really uncomfortable? You're right. Absolutely. We, we spend a short amount of time, you know, in the evenings with our music at mutual venues, um, seeing each other's bands and to, um, to go deeper, it, it takes, you know, a little bit of work. It's not always just, uh, you know, we're always all family. And no matter when we see who we see, like the 200 people that we all know, um, it's always like a hug and a what's going on, but then it's back to why we're where we are. So, yeah, it's kind of cool to just actually, this whole pandemic has helped slow down so many people, it slowed myself down from what I do for a living. And, and now I'm just enjoying being able to kind of go, okay, you know, we're not going to run out to a bar. We're not going to run, like, I'm supposed to be in Vegas today for punk rock bowling. I know, man. And that's such a, I've seen so many posts all day. Oh, I should be in Vegas right now fighting with the hotel clerk about my bags or whatever. <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, yeah. man, you know, it's it, and it's a huge event. You know, I mean, I've actually never gone and Shimer is constantly harassing me about it. You know what I mean? Because I'm not, I'm not a festival guy. It's not, so I don't want to be out of my mind for five days or four days or whatever. But I mean, I really was going to go this year. You know what I mean? I was planning on going and everyone is so bummed this weekend. You know what I mean? It, it might be the most bummed weekend in history at this point, you know? It, it is a weekend that's going to require some therapy. I think <laughs> it, it really is a, a spectacle. And, it, and it's something that, like I say, when I, I think we had mentioned it while we were riding, I started on the sixth year that they did it and kicked myself that I didn't go day one. But I think it was because I was misled thinking it was kind of a hokey, weird get together. Cause I remember they tried punk golf and I went, eh, I don't know. And then bowling, I'm all, I'm not a bowler. But then once I actually went and had my punk rock bowling cherry popped, man, it's just you can't you can't uh, not want to go back. It's it's a lot of fun, you know. If you don't like crowds, then that's probably not the place. But for the amount of music that they put on and host in Vegas, it, it's you can't do it all. You know, there's so much you just can't do it all. And and as the years have progressed, now you you kind of have to go. It's kind of like when we were at uh, the Rebellion Fest. You want to see you know 500 bands, but there's you know literally the amount of days. And the hours, and you can't split yourself because literally there's five huge venues going on at once. And you're like, oh, okay, well, Buzzcocks or GBH or, you know. Yeah, it, pick, it's kind pick of your poison, you know I mean? Every festival I've ever been to, I had the intention to see 20, 20 plus of the bands. And you end up seeing five, six, maybe seven if you're lucky, you know what I mean? Oh, that's tough. That's a tough yeah. one. It's but just yeah, the hang, gonna... though, you know. It's just the hang, you know. The hang yeah. is so cool. And the way they, I mean, as far as I understand, the way they had it set up was, uh, you know, 
easy to manage and easy to do as long as you got your reservations in on time and stuff like that, you know? Yeah. And it, and it originally started with the bowling and then the music was a part of it. Now it's literally about the music and the bowling. They don't even mention. And then there was a book that they had put out. I think it might've been two to three years ago. I don't think it was last year. And they speak so much of music. And I think the cover of it, punk rock bowling is the only thing that mentioned bowling. So yeah. it was, it was really kind of interesting, but you got to admit BYO has been around from day one as, as when I was, uh, you know, first joined Stalag and joined aggression. Um, BYO was one of the only labels. Then um, I'm not sure when SST kicked in, but there were so minimal, you know, groups that were like going, let's produce bands, let's put them out. Um, and so, like I said, they've been around a long time. They never gave up. And I'm, I'm really glad to know that they, they are there and they're continuing, con, you know, putting out music promoting music and uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a really cool thing. So everybody yeah. should go check it out. I mean, the Stearns are, you know, they, they've really put together a, a pretty incredible event, you know what I mean? And I, as far as I've always heard this dealings with BYO have always been outstanding, you know, much like a fat records type of type of thing. I don't know very, I can't really think of anyone that's bad mouthed them or, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like I know Shimer's very tight with them both. So, um, <clears throat> you know, I hear, I hear a lot of the really good stuff about them. I'm, uh, but you know, it just, it's just such a bummer that stuff like that's got to go right now, you know, and, and it makes sense though. Cause I mean, as much as punk rockers are dirty scum fucks most of the time, you know, you really don't like, I don't think you'd have a lot of people there if they went for it. You know what I mean? You'd have probably half, you know what I mean? It might actually be a really nice festival if half the people showed up, but, um, you know, I just, who's, you know, I just, I would not one part of me wants to be even at a place with a hundred people shoulder to shoulder right now, you know? Yeah. The Stearns are good. They've never uh, not been there for us. They've always been there for us. They've always given us what we've needed, very accommodating. And yeah, I don't think I've ever heard anybody say anything uh, bad about them. And they've just, they really get what it takes to come from a grassroots uh, foundation, put together a label, put together compilation albums, put uh, artists out on the road, be there, back them. And it, it's really kind of a testament to them that they, they've just always been who they are. And that's really cool. And then with the music too, I, I was thinking they were going to still have it, but I constantly go to their site to look at, see what's going on for next year's venue. And they actually, I think the health department in Las Vegas uh, kind of put the handle on them to say, Hey, yeah, this, you know, hotels are shutting down, the casinos are shutting down. You can't continue, you yeah. know. So I think they have to fall in. And uh, as you, a, you have as to. A as a respectable business or, you know, an organization, you have to do it. Now, it probably goes against everything that, you know, is our roots as punkers and we're against this and we're against. But, yeah. um, you know, that's the that's one of the funny things that's going on out there. I see memes about how we're such anarchists against the system and against the man and against these things, but we're all falling in and listening right now. So it kind of goes against a contradiction. But I, you know, I've had walking pneumonia, and I, I think I had this crazy flu the beginning of the year because when we came back from Japan, I got something that was just so bizarre. It wasn't a normal flu. I had hives that were moving around my body. I've never had a hive. I went to a dermatologist. They tested me for every environmental 
pollutant, didn't react to a single one, but I had some crazy conditions and symptoms that most definitely I, I think I'd been there. Not that I, I couldn't get it again, but you know, it goes back to, is it worth it? Mm, you know, I think the, the general consensus is you just move the date as the Olympics got moved in Japan, as everybody's moving everything else. You just, you know, you just do it that way. There's, you're not, and who knows what the liability is. I'm not a corporation. So maybe them being as large as they are, people buying tickets and attending a festival show, maybe there's a recourse. Some lawyer would be like, oh yeah, we could sue the, you know, BYO because they had the event. You got sick. Uh, you lost your love. I mean, it goes off. And oh yeah, it can go exponentially. You know, when I was a when I was a very young kid, my uh, I was sitting in the front of the TV with my grandpa, who's very like uh, my grandpa is basically Al Swearingen from Deadwood. Like he's just so gnarly. <laughs> I've been called a cocksucker my whole life since I was like three years old. <laughs> you know what I mean? But I remember sitting in front of the TV with him. And there was an advertisement for a lawyer on TV, which was very, you didn't see it. You know what I mean? And he, he goes right then and there. He goes, that's the end of this place right now. Letting these fucking lawyers advertise on television. You watch what happens. And then sure as shit, dude. I mean, you know, 20, 30 years later, it, you can't make a fucking, you can't wipe your ass without a lawyer being there. You know, it's because they'll sue the shit out of you. Everyone can sue you. It doesn't matter what the liability might, even if you had all the liability in the world, you know what I mean? But so yeah. when, did you, when, when did you guys come back from Japan? Uh, we were there in August, uh, about, I think it was August 20th, we landed, 19th or 20th we landed, and then we played until uh, September 1st, came home on the same day, which is kind of a mind blur because you're, you're a day ahead there, so you're in the future. So we left there at 11 a.m., came back to the United States the same day at 11 a.m. Oh, it's a full 24 hours difference? Yeah. So the time zone, it's, I think, 18 hours difference. But literally, I couldn't wrap my head around how we had left Tokyo at, like, 11 a.m. on a Wednesday and got back to LAX at 11 a.m. on the same Wednesday. And I was like, I can't. I can't. This is, like, back to the future. Um, So, yeah. I went right back to work and I think I took a week off, but I went back to work and I feel like I might've got sick right in December and it was these flu like symptoms, uh, but not a normal flu. It wasn't a cold. And yeah, I, I just, like I said, there was so many weird, bizarre elements of it. Plus the high thing, like literally my body looked like a leopard, but my hands would itch and it was all up my arms, my chest stopped at my waist. And then within an hour, they were gone, but then it was on my lower part. And, I, and my feet were itching. And I thought, this is, I've never seen something come up and go away. And uh, went to the ER one Friday night going, I, I don't know, man. I'm kind of scared. Like, <laughs> is this I'm like a leper now? And, well, dude, I mean, it's nice to know that basically you're patient zero and you brought it to America. So that's cool. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> thanks guys (laughs) thanks stalag you know and i i want to say some of the guys in the band had some reactions too uh ben was sick while we were in tokyo ben's always sick look at him he doesn't look healthy all the time but Uh, he was we we had him on the right randomly a a couple weeks ago they were doing a practice and i i was talking he's he's obviously like a history major you know and I was asking him stupid questions about history and the 
correlation between the Spanish flu and he gave us like a full history lesson, but man, that guy needs to eat some protein, you know? Yeah. He's, he's a smarty pants, Mr. Dissertation. Yes, he is. And a talented son of a bitch, dude. I tell him I hate him all the time because he's so fucking good. It's crazy, man. I've never met but a it, kid that, that can play that many things that well, you know? Yeah. Yeah. He, he's, uh, he's an anomaly most definitely. And I'm thankful to have met him and, and be in his world and vice versa. You know, I know he's in our world, but, um, yeah, it, it's a, it's a strange time. I think it's all going to pass. I think there's a lot of fear in the world. People are, I've never, I mean, 58 years old, I've never witnessed anything like this where the entire globe is affected by the similar type of a thing. Uh, where uh, they shut businesses down, the economy starts getting all jacked up. Uh, I've never seen anything like it. Now, uh, you know, SARS, what's the other one that was... Uh, Ebola, Ebola was bad. H1N1 was yeah. bad. Those are scary, man. When you start hearing about, like, Ebola and AIDS, and I started going, well, you know, okay, I mean, it seems like these things are affecting certain groups, certain areas. I'm not in these groups in these areas. I'm not traveling to Africa, you know, and, but you just hear about, you know, the, how it just devastates so many families and lives and, and it's real. But when this thing hit, uh, you know, I wasn't scared, but I figured the day that they tell you to stay indoors because it's in the air, that's when you have to really worry and you start taping up your doors and windows. And we're wearing actual like 3M respirators with organic <laughs> and, Tyvek suits, but yeah, I think this was just, again, it's, it's a lot of people are worried about their freedoms and what we've had to give up. But I think what this is, is something that could have gotten out of control and taxed our medical system and hospitals and frontline, you know, first responders. And that's really where a lot of this, I think is the issue is that sure, you know, it's, it's not uh, killing everybody. It's not everybody's getting it. The numbers are great. We've flattened the curve, you know. But I think it's just if it didn't, if they didn't do what they did, it could have gotten really nutty. And there wouldn't have been enough workers to, like, take care of the sick. And it would have been like a Monty Python, you know, bring out your dead. And a guy with a wheelbarrow. But, you know, my opinion each his own on their beliefs if you want to wear masks or don't wear masks or still go licking door handles i don't know i, I just think it's you know at 58 i'm not um 18 and i'm sure my immune system's been through some shit but i just don't want to uh i don't want to be the you know the first one to be well like, you oh, don't want to be the first one dead from being ignorant you know I, I just think that what this what this whole thing if anyone is learning anything from this it's it's how fragile our whole entire system is, dude. Our system is absolutely – you have people that – and you're seeing it right now. Most of the working people in this country cannot survive three months without work. They cannot survive. Correct. And, what, and you, yet you have billionaires. We have 20 of the most rich people on earth living in this country that have more money that – you know, than you could ever possibly imagine spending. Yet the majority of us cannot last three months without, without work or pay or benefits or whatever. You know what I mean? It's just, and if, if the government gives a shit, which I will be shocked if that's the case, you know, learns anything, it's going to be how bad they have like completely twisted the system into a knot, you know, 
Um, will they yeah. change it? No. Will they probably use this to gain more control over us and to tighten restrictions and get us where we want? Now, I'm not saying it's the proverbial they or the Illuminati, but I really think that this is a thing that happened that people are going to make money off of because there's people in power that are allowed to make money off shit like this. You know what I mean? And if, if we don't wake up and realize how fragile this whole entire place is, not only America, but just the whole fucking world, you know, like we deserve it. We deserve all this. If that's the case, you know what I mean? Um, if we're not willing to stand up and fight for what we want, I mean, people better come out of this fired up, dude. You know what I mean? Like, it, first of all, hopefully you come out with a big, big, huge dose of gratitude on, you know, seeing how lucky we really were, because this is another thing, too, is that it is devastating for certain areas. New York's devastating. You know, I talked to my buddy Craig on this that, you know, the guy went there to burn bodies to catch up on the backlog, you know, but this is a very light small dose of what mother nature could dish out to us. You know what I mean? And we better really start getting our shit together. I think in the next 10 years, man, you know, if we don't really start shifting our priorities, like in a worldwide sense to helping people and helping each other, it's gonna, this shit's gonna keep happening and it's gonna turn into a nightmare, you know? Yeah, I think there's always greed. I think, um, you know, I tried to think of this too, in a sense of business that, you know, if this, not, and again, not conspiracy theorists, but to generate something, release it, create crazy pandemics, you know, there, I, nobody really gained anything out of the, like you say, the working force, like you and I, um, industries were shut down. People didn't have savings. People were, were feeling this. This is something that, you know, just because of our, our system, people aren't making a fair wage. People can't save money. They're living check to check. They're running two and three jobs. You know, there's so many elements that make up this thing. But I kept trying to understand, you know, is did, did somebody make money in oil? No, dude, there's an abundance of oil and fucking gas out on the avenues, like 250. And a friend of mine was going across country driving a moving truck. He was in Oklahoma and it was a dollar forty. Wow. Yeah. So, you know, looking at, okay, so it's not an oil thing and, I'm thinking, um, is it stock markets? Man, the, the stocks have really been hit. Um, and I, I think, okay, so what's really operating right now? You got trucking, you know, delivering supplies. You've got food chains, you know, the, 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 um, the ranches for the, you know, the, 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 the meat. You got all these things that are just sustainable items that people need. You, know, you still got your farm working, you know. So the food, the food supply. I'm like, and it's not like, okay, every market doubled everything. So these guys fucked us. And it just goes back to, like you say, you just have to be compassionate to your neighbors, those around you. It can't always just be about you and mine. You know, it, it's kind of like we have to look out for each other. And again, wake up, like you say, and realize, um, you know, be prepared for something like this because they've always talked about it. And you know, it's 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 a shame that uh, a lot of people are going to lose their businesses, homes, livelihoods out of this. Family members. Uh, I was really lucky because I had my team done uh, right before. So, you know, that's how I survived. And I was just going, oh, my God, well, I had all these plans to use that money. But, you know, I guess staying alive and paying the mortgage is, is what's important. But, yeah, again, I think a lot of people are scared. It's something that we're not accustomed to. We've never been through. Um, it is, 
it's a scary time, but I, we're going to get through it. It's going to get better. I think everything's going to operate differently. Like we were talking about restaurants, you know, in Ventura, they're going to shut down from Fur to Figueroa. They will allow the restaurants to bring their tables out into the streets and the sidewalks to allow more space because these poor guys were being told uh, by the regulations of like, if you're going to open, you can only have 30% of your customers. Well, these restaurants are barely surviving with. Yeah, good luck running a business on 30% of your existing clientele, dude, you know? So it's, it's a really strange thing. Really strange. But yeah, it's a trip. I mean, so, and then you're, I, I wanted to touch on like what you do is I, I had no idea what you did for work until you told me, you know, the last few times, but you, you do something that's kind of wild, you know, and you've been out of work for months at this point, but um, are you cool with yeah. telling people what you do for work and stuff? Yeah, I, I work in the motion. Oh, it's picture. like affected that whole industry. Yeah. I, I work in the motion picture industry and I do set decorating and I've done it for 28 years, and uh, I've been through a writer's strike, which lasted 100 and I think 60 days, and that, that put me into a financial spin. Um, I didn't have a big savings. I had a huge mortgage at the time, living beyond my means, and charged up every credit card I could get my hands on, and it probably took uh, about 10 years to get out from under that. Wow. And just within the last five years been able to go, you know, we can, we can go travel with the band. We can go do these things and go visit and, you know, little, little luxuries, but I, um, I'm waiting to hear when they're going to open up the studios again. I mean, you can only do reruns so long. And now with all the streaming uh, platforms and the internet TV and uh, it's, it's not what it used to be where you had television and you had feature films. Now there's all these others and they all need a place to film. And if the, the counties aren't going to release filming permits. So they're, they're trying to work it out right now. And hopefully I'm hoping in another month, we'll start hearing about slowly opening the doors to the stages. But yeah, it's, it's a fun, it's a fun industry, but it most definitely, I got shut down. Yeah. It's crazy. I mean, I just, you know, that, that whole industry, you know, what you, what you think about when you think of the movie industry and the thing is the fucking actors, you know what I mean? It's like, and everyone goes, fuck them. You know what I mean? Cause they're rich and they're, you know, you got these morons from their mansions telling everyone to stay safe at home. <laughs> it's like, they don't, they got people going out to get them groceries and they're in their pools and go fuck yourself. You know, but what you don't really remember is that there's 200 plus of you out on a crew. I mean, on any set, any given day, making a living off of that production. You know what I mean? And it's just like, it, it's, you know, it's so funny because everyone's so quick to be like, fuck those guys. But then you realize there's a full industry behind that of normal fucking people that have cool, interesting backgrounds that do really good work. I mean, it doesn't, it takes a lot of work to make a set look cool. You know what I mean? Or even do anything, you know, a stunt man, a fucking camera guy, a grip, a whatever, you know, there's a huge industry behind that. So I always remember like, when you, you know, what, right before I start talking shit that, you know, behind every famous actor that might be a, a fucking butthole, you know, there's a 200 people that are working their ass off to make that guy look good or that chick look good, you know? Well, that's what a lot of this is about is how they can reopen and keep the actors safe because basically the product, the end product is about the actors. It's about right. their talent about the writers that made this actor fit into this, this character. And that's, that's what it's really about. And 
our industry, we do have a lot of luxuries, but now a lot of that's going to change um, from catering of food to the craft service. But yeah, you're right. There's a lot of craftspeople it takes to make a production um, from the set builders, the painters, grip, set lighting, set decoration, um, you know, everybody. There's so many people involved. And if the actors fall sick, we don't work. You know, they try to reroute the schedules to other scenes, but um, I get it. And I, I think the actors are really worried about how they can come back and be safe that some dirty punk like me, you know, running through the set, bringing in a sofa. Or <laughs> Hey, nice to see you today. You know, yeah, for like, sure. Which, yeah, I mean, uh, and you know, I, it's gonna, it's gonna come back, and that's what, like me and my wife were talking today. It was like, you know, because she's, she's, obviously, she's a mom. We got three kids. You know, we got my mom has cancer. There's a lot of high risk around us. You know, especially our kids being little germ, you know, little dirt, dirt bags. You know, they're just so gross. It. They're just so gross. You know, um, but. Um, you know, I, I was telling her today, you know, with, with Ventura recently, like, starting to come open and stuff, it's like, we we are going to have to go back to normal, you know, not or whatever, I'm not going to new normal, but we're going to have to get back to life again, man, and, and that's going to be taking some risks and going out and seeing people, because, you know, there's two ways to get past this, as far as I'm concerned, it's mass, mass testing, which isn't happening, it doesn't look like it's going to happen anytime soon or herd immunity and you know and i'm not saying i want people to get out there and get sick but you have to have people be immune to this shit and everything else going around by us staying in our houses and hiding like little rabbits you know you're ruining your own immune system you're ruining everyone else around you's immune system you know what i mean like you have to have some sort of limited exposure to stuff to in order to be have a healthy community you know and i think that's it's gonna you know there's responsible you could you could argue about it all day back and forth and what's a responsible way to do it but the fact is is that Ventura County was the first county I think in California to have their basically second phase of of two you know put into effect because our numbers are looking good you know and it's like well did you know you know and I've been raised in never trust the government so it's like what am I you know I'm for the government I'm against it I'm arguing for it I'm arguing against it I, I flip-flop daily you know but we have to get back to normal at some point, dude. And you have to just, you know, use your head. and we just... Part of our problem is we're not self-governing, you know, that if we could, then we wouldn't need a government. And that, but that's, that's the problem. People can barely be friendly to their neighbor if they need assistance. Um, it's a humbling thing when you realize people will reach out to help and offer help from over your fence or coming around to your door. So, I mean, there's a lot of, uh, hopefully people realizing that, you know, this isn't about holding everybody down. This isn't, you know, we have, we have choices. We can do what we want. I see a lot of people doing whatever the fuck they want, being indignant. You know, I went to the bank the other day, which I don't do that much, but I stood on my little six foot mark. Hey, everybody had a mask. You're like, fine. How do you know I don't have TV? How do you know I don't have, you know, some other aerial shit that as I speak, I'm going to give it to you. So I'm going to be responsible to not be a dick. But, you know, to see a guy in there all indignant, all yoked out, you know, no mask and like, I'm just going, okay, cool, man. Teach his own. You know, yeah. I hope you don't get sick. I hope you don't like later regret being this indignant big dick. 
you know. But I think I think there's, you know, everybody's going to have a new way of trying to congregate. And so I really wonder about the bars. I know they're worried about restaurants. I just think bars are going to really get hit because you cannot in Ventura. The bars we have are not, you know, like Winchester's. Okay, you got a lot of room. But the San Susi doesn't have a lot of room. The Ventiki doesn't have a lot of room. The, the Beach Club doesn't have. You know, I go down the list of uh, the Star Lap. Growing up here, I can name them all. But n- bars—that's part of the fun—is the the like close proximity, kind of squeezing through. You know, to get a beer. But I I don't know. I, I think it's going to all kind of have to be reinvented in a way. Music. Yeah. I- you know, music's going to be another thing. Just the venues, how are they going to do it? I could see the Ventura Theater. There's enough area to spread people out. But, yeah, like the, the bar scene, you know, greater minds than ours, I'm sure, are trying to work on all the big picture, you know. It's not- oh, I doubt there's greater minds than ours thinking about it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's They're just not – I it just – you know, like I said, you know, people do, people are, like you said, people are going to do exactly what they want. And, and, and like, like every good thing, you will absolutely six months from now or whatever it is, everyone will be acting as if it never happened. You know what I mean? Like, I think it, you know, as fast, as hard as we are hit, I mean, I think it'll stay in everyone's crawl a little bit, but I guarantee within a year, it's going to be like as if it never happened. You know what I mean? At least in, in people's attitudes, unless it's still ravaging the country, which fuck it, please. I hope not. You know what I mean? But um, yeah, I, I actually wanted to bring up music and stuff. Um, so, I mean, I know that you guys had stuff planned for Europe and all kinds of stuff. So everything's just being pushed off and on hold essentially till uh, what, 2022 now at this point? What are you guys thinking about? Um, at this point, we're hearing uh, our promoter in Tokyo, he wants us to come in September after the Olympics because no venues are open during the Olympics. Right now, he said it's a ghost town in Tokyo all throughout all of the country and no bars, nothing. They're just keeping it all super quiet. I guess they even have almost like a, a curfew that if they see you out on the streets, like you can get arrested. So what he told us is if we can plan for September 2021, we will be there right after the Olympics when all the venues open. And, you know, people are going to go nuts, as they will here, L.A., anywhere in the United States, anywhere in, in wherever, Italy, any country, they've, you know, they've all been on this lockdown. So we're hoping to get back to Japan next year. Uh, punk Rock Bowling, I know, we will be back on that. They're going to have to rebook the venue and, and get that steam again. Because, yeah, this year we were really on a roll with me doing Dr. No and Stalag. We had multiple gigs. We had um, so much steam that literally I'm, you know, it's like it's like knowing you're going to the Super Bowl and, and your team loses by a point. You're like, no. Oh, dude, I mean, yeah, because you guys, there was a full Nardcore, like, lineup, right? I mean, like for the for finally one year at punk rock bowling, Nardcore was going to have its big huge place, you know, and it's like, of course, <laughs> the land of no toilets, down. You know? Now that is a true Nard curse. It is, yeah, <laughs> totally, man. It absolutely is. So, and then I, you know, I so you've been playing punk rock for. I was thinking about this the other day, you know what I mean, and. Obviously, you got into playing music because you just love playing music, I would assume. I mean, what were your – how did you end up getting in, like, getting into playing music? I mean, in the beginning, back well, in the early 80s. 
I my brother, I blame him because he was into acid rock and and, me, and back then they didn't call it metal, metal. It was hard rock. But he took me to my first gig. I was eleven, and he took me to the Forum in Los Angeles, and I got to see Grand Funk Railroad and Black Sabbath. <laughs> nice. At 11, so for three days, my ears are ringing, and I'm all, is this normal? But that was my real introduction to that kind of music. But I did grow up with parental influences with jazz and, and blues and R&B. So I've had a pretty rounded musical influence growing up. I had access to a drum set at about the 11, 12, 13-year-old age. My brother had one. But when I hit the drums and the cymbals, I thought, God, that's fucking noisy and annoying. So you cut to junior high where I had to have a band class and I took up a woodwind, which is really odd. But I played sax, you know, and uh, did a little Kenny G, sexy sax. Yeah, after junior high, it never went anywhere. So cut to 1978. I graduated in 80 in high school. I know I'm an old fucker. Um, negative two, by the way. Yeah, negative two. A good <laughs> yeah. friend of mine, Pete Ballmer, he uh, was my my knowledge of all things metal and black metal. So he introduced me to like Venom and Motorhead and King Diamond. And, you know, I, I went all to the Metallica, all that stuff. So through him, uh, I was living in the condos over by uh, what's Coles now. There was a drive-in theater there. And my buddies all... You know, Pete goes, let's buy a drum set. Because I always had a job. I've been working since I was 14 at swap meets and carnivals with my dad. And I'm all, yeah. And like, you know, like I really knew what I was talking about. I remember buying my first drum set. God, if I had it now, I'd be worth the mint. But we bought it and it had like those hydraulic Evans heads that had the oil in them. So when you hit them, they were just horrible sounding. (laughs) 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 Yeah. I'm going, this does not sound like, you know, fucking this person or that person or this band. And I'm like, they just sound like shit. So we just played them that way. But he actually played the drums more than me in my, my bedroom in the condo. And that was 1978. Then, um, you know, of course, Pete was turning me on to other kind of like the Robert Fripp and Brian Eno weird craft uh, work stuff. And then uh, I hooked up with some friends in Ventura that, uh, same thing, they're like, oh, there are these, these, these clubs in L.A. and there's this great music going on. I'm like, oh, cool. Cut to, um, um, God damn it. Uh, I went to the, the old Starwood way back in the day with, uh, not Joey Pena, what's his brother's name? I'm drawing a blank. Art Pena. Art Pena goes, hey, dude, let's go to Hollywood to one of these punk shows. And I'm like, oh, I've been hearing about them. You know, and I hadn't really even listened to it on a radio or, you know, cassette or whatever. So he took me to go see The Runaways. That was my first show in Hollywood. Wow. I want to say like 1980. And I was like, wow, an all-girl band. And they were like, they're rock, but they're kind of punky, you know. And then, you know, a few months went by and he goes, oh, there's another gig at the the, uh, Whiskey. It's uh, Plasmatics. And I'm all, what? So I got to see Wendy Williams come out with the tape and the whipped cream that, you know, melts off. And stage show with a shotgun, dropping set lights and sawing guitar. I mean, I, I witnessed it. In so good. Old one. So that was really like Art Pena gave me my first taste of punk blood. 
and uh, always give him the credit because like if he hadn't have taken me it would have been god knows how many more years later before i started hearing this stuff but from there then i started hanging out with the oxnard people because he had connections and he's all hey come over to this party where i met the aggression guys and then you know you hear about black flag you hear about circle jerks and adolescents okay you just the basic you know old staple of punk so as the flyers were making it back to ventura from the people going to the gigs and in hollywood you'd see it and you're like fuck we're going to that and so that just kind of parlayed everything into more exposure gun club mau maus um christian death you know you just go down the list and as far as playing getting into the bands for me i had a band my first one was called white trash and we were just doing covers we played everything that was out you know from adolescent circle jerks black flag you name it we were just doing covers and we would play around ventura and in backyards and we even um i don't know if there's any limit to stat you know the, the what is it the statute of limitations for being legally held responsible but no we go we go to pierpont to like a house that was for sale nobody was in it we'd go around the back and get into a window and turn the lights on and we'd have a house party and start like telling people and you know hell yeah play. yeah as long as you didn't murder someone i think you're okay <laughs> uh we were just just trespassing just trust uh, yeah just uh, general mayhem you know yeah general mayhem doesn't so, count 20 30 40 50 years later so that was one of my first bands um white trash and then going to oxnard a little more because people were talking about this band dr no aggression um stalic 13 i hadn't heard much about yet I feel like aggression, the beer guts. Um, God, I'm trying to remember all the old bands. It's been so long. Uh, you know, bands from Carpinteria. Um, hadn't really heard much about Santa Carpinteria. I didn't. I had never heard that there was bands from Carpinteria. Uh, well, there was the one that was the Rotters. Weren't they from Carpinteria? I have no idea. Yeah, I think I want to say they were like the one from Carpinteria. I want to say it was the Rotters, something like that uh but then that you know hanging around the oxnard folks then you start hearing about more and more parties and none nobody had made it to hollywood yet no, nobody was playing gigs in la that i can recall um well not I was was like the I, was the localism thing going on back then like you know the southers and you know you know was that was that pretty strong because like there were for a long time none they wouldn't meet right i mean because in the surf culture here for anyone that's not from here listening you know the surf cultures here are very very uh staunch on their their teams you know there there's there's certain areas of ventura and oxnard that do not fuck with la dude and la does not fuck with them you know and it was like that for a very long time so that was that going on back then even yeah junior high high school i remember hearing about it because i went to cabrillo which was a beach school went to ventura high i didn't go to uh was it deans i didn't go to buena which were the jar the jock schools so i hung out with the surfers and the skateboarders um and so i'd hear all about it and uh, they would go down to like uh, the different campgrounds and they would people would be asleep and they'd steal their food and their surfboards and but also at the beach like with silver strand yes like you didn't go into silver strand just to go look at the beach with a surfboard on your car uh, but i feel like ventura had the same thing say pierpont you know like you yeah hear about Pierpont to surf but localism was around um you know I I really I never messed with surfing until probably 
I would say 20 years ago. So, you but know, I feel I, like I, that, that attitude kind of transferred into punk rock a little bit too, because it took a long time for Oxnard and LA to kind of mesh together, as far as I understand, you know? Yeah, I'm, and you're right. Uh, most of the people in the bands I played with once I got over into Aggression and, and Stalag, they were surfers. You know, they surfed. Um, Ron, I don't believe, surfed. I think John Morris living in Oxnard Shores, I believe he surfed. Blake, of course, the cruises were surfers. Um, uh, Dave Casillas, not so much, but he's a professional. Uh, yeah, ab- absolutely, the mesh of like the 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 Southers and the, that that whole localism thing, you know, it, it played a part. I mean, look at aggression. Um, you know, uh, this beach is for locals only. You know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it obviously is part of the culture, you know. But yeah, it's, it's, it's yeah. such a trip because it's so hilarious that, like, you would meet people, you know, that brag about the L.A., L, early L.A. punk scene and shit like that. And you're like, yeah, dude, but Oxnard was killing it back then, too, you know. And they're like, oh, I don't know nothing about that. It's like, dude, it's 50 miles away. And we might have fucking got you on, on, the, on the early times, dude. You know what I mean? Like. There's definitely some Oxnard bands that were getting it, getting busy, like right at the same time, if not maybe a little earlier than some of those, you know, official first punk LA bands, you know? Yeah. Yeah. LA was on fire when we'd make our journeys down there. We were going to dance clubs. Uh, any, and, and these were like, they were new wave clubs, but they'd play punk. And so for us, we'd sit through all the like turning Japanese and the, the knack and uh, you know, that type stuff. But all of a sudden you hear public image, public image come on and we're like, fuck yeah. And we'd, we'd get out there and just do our thing on the floor. And we were wearing like uh, kilts and like engineer boots with our pants tucked in and a million dog chains around our ankles. I mean, we had that weird, the circle jerk, you know, mm-hmm. image that was, that was us, the kind of LA emulation. Yeah. And um, it, it took a while before we got accepted, you know, any of the bands from Oxnard in Hollywood. I can remember sending cassettes to the Cafe de Grande and to all the clubs and the Ukrainian Cultural Center and all the Florentine and and all these people. Anybody doing shows, you know, we'd send cassettes. Just, you know, let us in, let us in. And it took a while. And then eventually uh, it happened. Yeah. Um, yeah, I wonder because I and I wanted to know too. Like, I, I mean, obviously, you've had such a long career. You got a thousand amazing tour stories and stuff, which I want to get a good one from you uh, before we get off and all that. But um, I, I wanted to, you know, one thing that I personally like am interested in is because you have this long music career, right? You know, playing, touring, just grinding it out for the love of music, right? You're not making really any money doing this, and at a certain point we all tend to walk away and and move on with our lives for a little bit, but you're in the last 10, what, 15 years have been really like, I mean, how cool is it for you to be able to come back and revisit these songs and restart these bands and have people give a shit? You know what I mean? Like that's something that I think about every once in a while, not like legacy or any of that, but you know, I, I would love to be able to revisit stuff that I did when I was in my twenties and, you know, as a 50 something year old man and, and have people appreciate it. Like that's got to feel pretty cool. Like how has the last, like you raised kids, you've gotten married, you've had houses and lost houses and all this stuff. But like, how has it been in the last like 15 plus years, like um, playing, you know, does it feel the same as it did 
or what's what's the difference you know it, i'm really thankful very thankful and appreciative of the fans and and the band members that i played with that they didn't go ah you know you're just an old man or you know what i mean i think um i i it's it's a really special thing and it is way different because when i was i think uh I feel like when I got into aggression, I was about 20, which was about 1981 or 82. Cause that's when the BYO, someone got their head kicked in album came out. We did the tour and I did that podcast with Zach and I was off by about a year or two on the dates, which, you know, I hadn't had to think about all this in many years until I try to timeline it. I had friends go, dude, you're off. And I'm okay, fine, whatever, fuck off. A but, year or whatever, I, dude. I mean, and, and that's another thing too. I want to mention that 185 South uh, podcast, if you want a real good chronological history of Larry and any of the Oxnard stuff, listen to those guys. You know what I mean? Those uh, Zach's really killing it with that stuff, dude. So, Well, and that's the thing. They know because they, they're a little bit fresher in the minds. They haven't had what I've gone through. Yeah, but yeah. I – I really think it's special and in the last probably 15, 16, I, I, I'm going to really take it to about 20 years. Um, I was under a rock for quite a while. After the Dr. No Wreckage and Flesh, the metal era, which was 88, 89, I did a tour with them. I just had a, a daughter and I came home and I hung it up. You know, I cut all the hair off. I, I got a career in the motion picture industry and became the, the husband, the father the responsible provider. And I, I really kind of just did what other members of other bands I'm aware of did the same. And it took, uh, it took Eric Andres, Dave Casillas, Joey Wolf uh, to say, Hey man, we got this band. We need a drummer. And I'm like, Oh man, you know how long it's been since I played. And they go, come on. And we're just doing covers. So I'm like, well, I've done that, you know? And we called ourselves Nardcore All-Stars, and it was the best thing that could happen because it got me back into learning my chops again, not being afraid to play. And to show where I was for a number of years, uh, when Mark Hickey had died, there, I was over at the San Susi, unaware that they were having a big thing at the theater. And his brother, Mike, came over and goes, dude, you got to come over and play some songs. I was terrified to get behind the drums. And you got to think, you know, I was with them a couple years, did a tour, and it's not hard music, but I was terrified to go over and be a fool and not know it. Oh, and dude, it's the it's our worst nightmare. Uh, you know, the, all the years I've been playing music, every time I get on stage, I go, I'm going to forget every single song and every single lyric. <laughs> you know what I mean, it's like, I still get nervous, you know what I mean? So, I mean, long story short, basically those guys got me out from under the rock. I started playing with them. We started playing quite a bit to the point where there was a benefit for Brandon's mom. She was stuck in South, uh, South Africa, South America. And we did a benefit at the old roadhouse there in uh, Oxnard, right off the freeway, which is all gone now. And Big Bob was there with his version of aggression. Henry was alive and they had a drummer. And I don't remember who was singing. I think Drew. And Bob goes, hey, man, I haven't seen you in a while. You want to play some songs? I'm like, okay, you know, suck it up, Cookie. Put on your big boy pants. You can do this. He gave me a CD. I went out in the car and listened to a few songs. I got behind the drums and played with them at this thing. And he, they, both Henry and Bob looked at me and they go, motherfuck, dude. Because 
I play with a fire always. I rarely, yeah. I rarely am a just going through the motions guy. And if you've watched me play, I, I'm like, I'm playing to break brass and chop wood because I think if you can put that kind of energy into the playing, it, it translates out to the crowd. Absolutely. It, it does. Cause I watch a lot of very talented drummers that can move around the drums and are very prolific, but there's no emphasis and no attack. And it kind of, I get bored. So they were stoked. They said, you want to do some shows? So I, at that time, kind of pulled out of the All-Stars, played with Aggression for a while until Henry passed. Mm-hmm. And then Jess Leedy came in, <clears throat> and we kept it going for quite a while. And it just, it was really becoming tough for me because it, it just wasn't the same. And, um, you know, there's always something coming along, you know, uh, you want to do this, you want to do that, another band or whatever. Like you said, 1,600 bands. I was probably on 700 at that point. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's been many years ago. Uh, but, yeah, I, I, I'm just very fortunate. I've always kind of played a little. It seems like um, Stalag in 2003, I believe, is when Doctor Strange re-released us. They did a remastering, added some other tracks uh, to the, the album. They got in touch with Evan at Thrasher magazine. He gave us a full half page, you know, big promo, the re-release. And I was like, oh, my God, man, you know, this is so awesome. And we went out for a little mini tour all the way up to Seattle, Washington with Dr. No. And that was another kind of eye opener about 2003. And, you know, so, of course, I'm, I'm in and out of that band for a while. Um. But they've, Stalag's really been the one I've been with the longest, you know. Out yeah, of all the, and you guys have been killing it, man. I mean, it's it's so cool to see you guys every time. My feeling is is so, uh, it's so different than when I was younger. Because when I was younger, it's about who we were. We're on stage, you're not. We have an album, you don't. You know, which is really kind of fucking pompous and it's stupid. But but that's a uh, 20-year-old's but, mentality, bro. I mean, well, <laughs> I mean but, you know, back in the day, if you weren't on, if you weren't headlining, fuck off. And so when we knew we were the headliner, and somebody said we're playing above you, we'd fight. Good example: Stalag was playing in Santa Barbara, and this is about '86, right when we were starting to fall into the metal, which I'll touch on that. Yeah. <laughs> and we're playing with Agent Orange, and somebody in our band didn't get there in time, and Agent Orange starts setting up. And we said, you better move your fucking drums, man, or we're going to, like, beat your asses and send you back to Orange County, bloody. And they were like, and we're <laughs> like, this is real. We're head, you know, we're supposed to headline or whatever the deal was. And it, mm-hmm. said, it seems weird that, like, Stalag 13 would headline over Agent Orange. But back then, there's plenty of times where we would play above bands that now are, like, the big names. And mm-hmm. it's just because it's what it was. It was a thing to be in a position on that 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 bill now i'd rather play i don't want to open i want to play in the middle when the crowd is hot they're fired Mm -hmm. up and then split because when you play headlining now people are tired you know especially if you're playing with my group they're tired by 10 11 if you're playing at one or two there ain't nobody oh it's a wrap dude i don't not one part of me ever wants to go on at 12 a.m you know what i mean i start crying you know but i you know and and that's the it's that's such a cool thing about punk rock too is that like it took 30 fucking years for people to really respect it. I mean, it took a whole entire generation of people to love it the whole time to really like, you know, when you saw, you know, especially when you saw like flag going out and, you know, off and all, you know, the black flag reunions and, 
you know, every other, you know, and I mean, especially you guys, Dr. No coming back, all these, you know, you're starting to see these bands resurface 30 years later. And like, people are like, fuck yeah, you know, because it really does awaken a part of your childhood that you completely miss. I mean, every, every guy, you know, your age has that part where it's like, you, you know, you have some kids, you settle down, you do what you got to do, get them raised. And then, you know, the kids get out of the house and now you're like, just all twiddling your thumbs. Like, fuck, I think I could do this. You know what I mean? And it's like, it's so cool that the response is, you know, it's like hard for me to imagine Ska's never going to make a huge comeback. You know what I mean? But like punk rock, like that, that dirty, grimy element, you know, and especially like when you have bad politics like this, you know what I mean? Like bad politics makes great fucking punk rock. It creates anxiety. It creates tension. It creates turmoil, which people want to get it out. You know what I mean? And it's, I just love that. I love that you, you know, and really it's so selfish that I love it because it's really like for me, you know what I mean? It shows me that, you know, I was a guy that had to walk away from a lot, you know, to do what I needed to do for my family. And now I'm just starting to kind of pop my head up again and resurface and play, you know, and I just, I just love that there's like such a huge outpouring and, and, and response to like, all the stuff that the Nardcore guys have been doing and, you know, and, and anyone like that's been really grinding for the last 30, 40 years, you know, um, we, the raft got a chance to play with uh, blue cheer uh, right before it was us blue cheer um, annihilation time. And uh, this band called El Barbero, right. You got a, you got a cheer record. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. That's part of the, the thing. And the craziest, the hell Yeah. The craziest thing about that show was talking to Dickie, you know, and he goes, dude, we've been fucking playing for 42 years. And you're like, holy shit. I mean, this dude started playing when the Rolling Stones started playing. And, but this guy's in yeah. a van. This guy's been touring in a fucking van for 42 fucking years. Didn't give a fuck. You know what I mean? And smoked a giant joint, went on and completely shredded the place. I mean, shredded it. Did a 30-minute Jimi Hendrix medley, which I, I was like, what? what? <laughs> like, you know, killed some blue cheer songs, 30-minute Hendrix medley in the middle, and then ended with, you know, summertime blues and the, you know, some of the jams, you know, some of the jams. And, like, this motherfucker has been doing it for 42 fucking years and just is as happy as a pig and shit, died, like, six months later. You know what I mean? Like, that shit's so cool when you see someone that just doesn't have – the quit in them. You know what I mean? It's, it's awesome. I, I just, you know, and I, to, you know, to be able to get to know you in the last 10 years and, and <clears throat> see that that stuff can, it continues, you know what I mean? Like it never leaves you. I, I take those DIY ethics and the, all that shit into every part of my life, you know, to try to help myself and help my family and help my friends. You know, I really believe all high tides raise all ships. And the more that we share the struggles and the trials and the tribulations and the good times with the better we'll all be eventually, you know, and like, you've been such a huge learning uh, uh, asset for me to see like, fuck, it's still possible to enjoy your late fifties and your sixties because the industry I work in and the industry that you work in, you know, that it breeds bad people, not like, you know, just angry, bitter. You know what I mean? When you do something you don't want to do for 40 years, you're fucking bummed, you know what I mean, by the end of it. Um, so it's just awesome to see that stuff, you know. Yeah, it it it's uh it means a lot. I, I appreciate it. It 
for me, what happened eventually was when I started playing again a lot more is I started watching the crowds and it's never been about money. I mean, just to really clarify, and I think I did this on Zach's show too, is that I've never received a penny from any album I've ever recorded, never asked for any money. It's not that I got screwed. Um, I just always believed in the level we were performing at and, and the people behind us were upstart companies as, you know, the upstart records Stalag 13 was on. And to see the $50, $75, $500, $300, whatever, the small amount, we're not talking thousands, you know, we're right. talking, we're talking triple digits, but that's like, could be with a decimal point after the first believe in that money going back into their system to prolong if they are starving i mean you know good examples dr strange records they took us uh, under their wing and for many years i'd get these reportings you know very professional i'd see what the album did we're like the sex pistols one album almost 40 years later and you know i got to see how it was selling and i just would tell them hey hold on to it, you know, keep that money. I, you know, I have a regular career. I have a, you know, I know, I know what life's about. I'm not living on it. And to me, over the years, I started realizing it's not about the money. Even when we play and we do shows where they pay us this astronomical amount of money. And I kind of go, really? Like, all right. You know, I mean, we didn't even, we didn't even like argue. We didn't come up with this, this number that they just, this is what we can pay. And I go, cool. You know, I don't want to have to pay for gas or food. Oh, so, definitely, man. You know, if, they, if it's, it's a wash, it's good. But the point is, is that I, I am noticing my age have had kids. Those guys have had kids. And now I'm playing for, you know, your civil conflicts, your three-day Holocaust, your, you know, and I call them kids because I could be their dad. Right. And they're fucking awesome. And as I've always said for the last probably 35 years, Oxnard and punk has never died in Oxnard. It never went away as long as I can, you know, that's why I have these huge windows where your, your generation of music, the Joe Rivas, all, you know, the um, in control uh, annihilation time. It, I mean, I know it was happening, but I never got a chance to go experience it. And very thankful that they never just fucking threw the towel in and said, you know, punk's dead. Now we're into disco or, you know, whatever, uh, Morrissey, it just continued on another level. And so now I'm so thankful that the pirate punks and all these kids that are, are you know, the Hong Kong shows, they did this, they did two shows for us, the going away show to Japan and the, and the return show. The place was completely off the hook, reminded me of Hollywood in the 80s, reminded me of the best house parties. Those guys know how to fucking have a good time and get the people there. And I, and you know, they do a donation thing and they gave us a couple bucks at the end of the night. And I said, I'm happy to do it for free. If when we agree to do it, you just go, Hey, it's donations. So you could make a couple or you could, you know, walk away with some free drinks. And to me, that's what it's about. It's, it's about keeping it in that DIY, not putting yourself above people because it, it, there's not, there's always a handful of those acts that have a lot of responsibilities and they live on it. You know, mm -hmm. that's their livelihood. This to me is fun. I love bringing pleasure for people to see. I love to talk to people. I'm, I'm approachable, which I've always been over the years. And I've always just thought that that was something that, you know, because you run into people every so often. You're like, dude, I've been seeing you for the last 40 years. I mean, we were elbow to elbow at this club in Hollywood. 
but you know, to have a conversation, they just turn a cheek because you're nobody. And I'm like, you know, I'm, I just think it's important to keep that friendly door open as, as Oxnard always has amongst all of us. And to this day, I mean, anything we play is just mainly for the kids because that is who I see a lot of, I mean, definitely a 21 and over club is not going to be the kids, but I mean like the Hong Kong shows and the community center show that we just did. Um, yeah, I, I don't, it doesn't matter. It's going to be a hundred years old or five years old. It's, it's about watching them lose their shit when, you know, as in Dr. No, when we come out with burn and the fucking place wants to rip their clothes off and run through a plate glass window. A hundred percent, man. Yeah. Me, that, that's what it's about. Yeah. And it, it's, it's, it's honestly, sh- it's, hard to find a lot of people with that same perspective, you know what I mean? Which makes it so much more unique when you do, because first of all, Ventura and Oxnard has such an incredible, I mean, probably some of, I've been all over the country. You've been all over the world. There's some of the most talented fucking people here and they're hat just as just happy to be playing, making music, having a good time, hanging out with the friends. And it's not about that. It's not about, you know, there's probably 10, 20 bands that could really go full big time out of this these couple towns if they really yeah. decided to. But um, it's just not in our DNA. And maybe it's because we're from lazy beach towns. You know what I mean? <laughs> maybe it's our general laid back attitude overall for the most part. You know, we're not from a town where everyone's fake and has to try to fucking sell themselves. You know, we just are, you know, but it creates authenticity. It creates like you know, a real true positive atmosphere, you know what I mean? Like, whereas you can go to a show in LA and from one city to the next city, no bands know each other. They don't like to deal with each other. The promoter won't talk to this guy. And if you did your show here, they're not going to do a show for you over here. And it's just not like that here. You know what I mean? Even though it is a small community, because it's maybe that's the reason, because there, there's just no room for a lot of bullshit here. And the people that are like that get weeded out pretty quick. You know what I mean? You do have your handful of people that will pull a fast one on a band or start a label and rip some people off. You know what I mean? But um, it doesn't last long. You know what I mean? And it gets pointed out and people generally avoid that person or that group or that band. And they don't get invited to shows and they don't play. You know, if you jump on stage here with an attitude 99% of the time, you know, and I, I'm, I'm guilty of having an attitude myself when people jump on my stage, but um, you know, I don't come up there with an attitude of we are better than you. You know what I mean? I come up there because I'm, I want to perform for you. I want you to enjoy the songs. I want you to feel what I'm feeling, you know? Um, so it's I call just it cool to see, you know, you, you are the mirror. So you act a fool. I'm a fool. Exactly. But I want to touch, touch on something you said, cause it's really important. That's something about Oxnard, Ventura, Camarillo, Simi Valley. I mean, not a lot of big acts came out of Simi. Santa Barbara had RKL and, and a few others. Um, but Oxnard in particular and Ventura, if you think about Stock 13's style of music, Dr. No, Ill Repute, and Aggression, they're so different, which to me is impressive that nobody tried to be like Nobody wanted to emulate to fit in. There's such creativeness and originality here. And I said that in a, in a magazine article that we did that I don't think anybody had touched on it. And I said, you have to really stop and go, okay, Stock 13 has this 
you know, not to pigeonhole us, but you know, of course we are straight edge, but we have a style and it's, it's very consistent and it's easy. It's fun. And then you go to the old repute, which had another kind of a style that I can't even really put my finger on. Then you go to the aggression, which I feel when I was in the band, it was very surf punk. Mm-hmm. You know, it was very surf feel. And then when Mark Aber took over, it, it became harder and, and more refined. And, and it, it's what the band needed. And then you go to Dr. No. And I said, Dr. No's like taking a chainsaw, firing it up, putting the trigger on, on auto and throwing it in a pit. I mean, it's just, <laughs> yeah. It's like mechanized insanity. So all the, the, the big four had their own style without stepping on another, without being like, oh, well, you sound like. Because when we did one tour, and uh, that was that 03 tour, we were in uh, Seattle. And we played at this place, and Nirvana had already moved on. But five of the bands we played with all sounded like Nirvana, Mother Love Bone, Soundgarden. Soundgarden. Alice in Chains, oh, yeah. whatever, yeah. I just thought, what happened? What happened here? Because Seattle's not a giant place. Mm-mm. But when you have the hit sound, it's kind of like people try to glom on and go that direction. And, it, you know, and it might have happened in L.A., but not living there. Um, I never sensed that. I sensed L.A. had, because it is bigger, you had a lot of different sounds. Like Black Flag didn't sound like Circle Jicks, didn't sound like D.O.A., didn't sound like... Um, the misfits didn't sound like, you know, and you can just go on and on and on. But when you got to certain genres of music, they had either a glam rock punky thing, or they had a death rocky feel. Uh, well, and but, then you find that a lot of those bands, they glom together and they play shows together. And every time you go to a show, it's seven bands of the same thing. Like, but I think you're right. And Ventura and Oxnard specifically has kept that tradition in the fact that, Everyone plays with everyone. Like the Rats' last show in Ventura was us, which we're, we were fucking gnarly. Yeah, we're a gnarly band. We're, it was us, Massinger, who is like Seth and Sasha. Like it's like a surf rock, almost like concrete blonde. And then Catholic Spit. That was our last show. And it was because we love those bands. They're nothing like us. You know what I mean? Like, and, it, and that is interesting. That's an interesting show to go to. To go to a show where 17 people have mohawks and you can't tell who's the singer of what band, you know what I mean? And they all have the same speech and they all say the same things and they all play the same fucking thing. It's boring to me, you know what I mean? And it's so weird that Ventura and Oxnard and surrounding you know, Ventura County has that weird vibe to it where everything meshes, dude. Like, I, would, I love to play shows with Sweet Reaper. You know what I mean? I love to, you know what I mean? I, Tongue will play with, you know, uh, the pirate punks. We don't fit into the pirate punk world, you know, but no one bats an eye, you know, it's, it's crazy. It's just the culture that we, you guys created essentially, you know? Yeah, you're right though with the three bands you just listed, yours and the other two. Um, I love all the, I love all that. And they were so different to, when you said that lineup, I thought, wow, that's a pretty extreme lineup difference <laughs> yeah. there. And, well, even when I go to like uh, uh, John's band, uh, you know, Detoxy, but what was the other one before that? Um, they were called Mask, I think. Ma- yeah. I mean, that band, Detoxy, everything he touches is different, but it's so fucking pleasing to the ears and mm-hmm. senses that it's different and it's fun and it's edgy and it's new. And, and to me, that's, again, it's like, there's a lot of bands in Ventura, and I'm discovering this right now, 
uh, I, don't, I don't know if it's proper to call them metal or whatever the, the new, you know, if your name has roots in the lettering and you can't describe or yeah, read it. we'll call it metal. I don't know That's fine. If it's thrash metal rock, I don't know. Yeah. You know, I'm old. So me, I've got like four terms for music. Nowadays, they've got all these different breakdowns. But I mean, there's so much just here in Venture and Oxnard that I'm like blown away and they're all different. And that to me, it just goes back to like, what, is it in the water here that, you know, when you start a band, you don't go, oh, whoa, 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 that riff, man, that sounds like, and we can't do that, you know, or yeah. is it, it just, it's an innate thing that comes out. And that's always been kind of impressing me. And, um, you know, like a good example is Brilliant Machine with Bill. Oh, yeah. That, that was a very unique band, dude. I heard it and I'm like, I fucking hate you guys because I like this. Like, I fucking hate you because the rap is so good, you know? <laughs> yeah. But that's that's important to me for my musical tastes because I like I like a lot of variation. And that was, again, something that even Billios brought to the scene that I could go there because we live two blocks away. We could go there any given weekend and there'd be a band. And, and I'm like, where are these fucking guys from? They got saxophones and they kill it. Oh, they're from, like, over on Foothill, and I'm like... Yeah, this guy's playing a fucking harp. What? Yeah. And I like yeah. it. Why? <laughs> you know? Yeah. You know, so, I mean, Ventura and Oxnard have always had that, that kind of power to just create new sounds. And, you know, that's what's fun. And, I, I mean, as far as me, again, just the love of doing it, to watch people get excited, they still get excited. I think, you know, I threatened to quit about four or five years ago and I think my final show I don't know what it was I think I just felt like I'd hit the end and I was gonna light everything on fire and destroy it and, and toss it out to the crowd like literally I like a crazy I'd probably go to jail the club would have burned down people probably would have been injured and I'd have, you know that's my grand most answer. night that's most nights me playing honestly it's <laughs> I, I something me out of it and I said you know what I'm having you know, this is too much fun. This is way too much fun. And I think too, when Brandon hit me up to do the Dr. No project, I went, okay, I, mm -hmm. I can dig this. And we went to Europe with Dr. No and Stalag. And that was, a, again, it just kind of relit the fire. And you're doing double duty, right? I did every night back to oh, back. Yeah. I basically made a drum head with a vinyl of each band and I put Velcro tabs and I put them <laughs> up put them on the backline set that I, I was given and the clubs that had a backline and I just flip it, but I changed shirt, changed headband mm. and let's, and people would, they come up after the second band and go, you just fucking played it. <laughs> animal. But yep. you know, going to appreciation, like when you're in Europe, you don't realize that Oxnard has been around the world and we were in Italy and Croatia and people came up with things to sign. And I thought, I, I expected it totally like we're, nobody knows who the fuck we are. We're just Americans playing punk rock. And there were so many people that knew about Nardcore. And to me, I, I think, well, if you didn't have the invention of the internet, it probably would have been a lot longer, you know, but uh, we're out there, you know, Ventura, Oxnard, uh, they want to know what's going on in the you know United States. There's there's an interest, and what we got to see in just Japan, every band we played with in Japan that opened for us, 
I look at the guys and go, guys, I thought we could ease into this. We got to fucking tighten it down and a game at plus. And mm-hmm. they all, they all went, you're really fucking right. I mean, because the Japanese do not fuck around. Mm-mm. They were so fucking tight, so fast, so energetic. And literally we, we brought it, you know, and, it, and I can look at the videos from the clubs we played. We're playing so fast and so tight. And I think to myself, it, nobody said we better pick it up tempo wise. We better, it just happens. And all of us being musicians, friends, the love of what we're doing, because we wouldn't have went there if we didn't love what we're doing. We wouldn't have went there if we hated one another. But to go into a situation, it's almost like an Olympics, a punt. And to go to the first club and to see who opened up for us and then just look at each other and go, you know what you got to do. Mm-hmm. And from there, the rest of the two weeks, it was it was like flawless. <clears throat> and there were a couple times where we even said, we're really playing this fast. And, and, and we'd all go, it's fine. Yeah. It's fine. That's the energy, it's, man. It's not, it's not tumbled together, but it's keeping with that same energy that these, these local groups were playing. So there's something to be said just about that alone, that um, you have to always kind of keep looking at that bar because if you get comfortable going under that one where you just go, Oh, fine. Let me just shimmy under it. You mm-hmm. know, I've been doing this for 38 years. You can become complacent. Oh, you're going to watch some kid fucking run and pole vault over your bar <laughs> you know, and then kick you in the head while they do it. You know what I mean? It's hundred percent, you know, and it's, and it's like funny too, because some people think, you know, they hear, Oh, we tour Japan. And it's like, it's like, I know what you guys did to get there. You guys played for shows for a whole entire year and every yeah. single fucking dollar went to tickets and hotels and just to not pay out of your own pockets. You know, you guys all took vacation time to do it. You know what I mean? So it's not like you're, you know, when, when you hear immediately when someone says, I went to tour in Europe, people think, well, they just, you know, they had everything handed to them. And, this, and it's like, dude, you, if you want to go to a tour and do like what we do on our level, you have to work for a full year before that to even get to the fucking point. You know what I mean? And it's like, you only do that out of love. You do that as a labor of love and that's it, you know? And like, if you're doing it to make money, I mean, fuck, we might as well, you know, I would have started a James Brown fucking cover band a billion years ago. You know what I mean? It's, or whatever, you know, it just, it would have been anything else besides punk rock and metal, you know? Um, it's, it's just so, well, it's so and- cool, you know? And you can't choose the path that you and I have because we spoke about this on our bike ride that there are those that we know that live in a rehearsal space or their their life is just that, music, and they can take off when they need to and they can um, immerse themselves as much as they want and eat top ramen as much as they, you know, their, their responsibility level is is really low. But when you get up in age and you've had know a pretty full life with things and kids and uh, careers you you find a way to do it and still have fun and and it's always a job you know it's never it's never always pleasure I mean believe me the first tour I did in in Europe was with the the punk Elvis cover band the Gigi Elvis and I had to carry drums down into basements almost every night my wife helped and all the gear because rarely the clubs are up on street level they're always in these like oh, yeah you know and literally the amount of work that goes into that you know there are no roadies there is no tour bus i do have to say our connections in europe and japan are good 
where we're in like the Mercedes Sprinter van. Yeah. Uh, in uh, Japan was like uh, Ryota's own personal like Toyota van that held like 15 people. But, you know, it, it, those I think are pretty top notch tours, you know? Oh yeah. Um, compared to what the, you know, we've done tours in trucks. You know yeah. I mean? It's like, the I remember having to borrow my mom's PT cruiser to get to shows every once in a while. You know what I mean? It's like, it's crazy, man. But, but so it's, it's really something though, to, to see the people around the world. Um, I really want to do Thailand. Um, there's a crazy scene there. And I've reached out to a group uh, through a friend of mine in the studios. He goes down and helps build choppers. And their music scene is nuts. It's called Natterjack, and it's like N-A-T-T-E-R-J-A-K. And they use the Motorhead skull as their logo. And they're, um, it's Thailand, I believe. And uh, yeah, their, their shows are crazy. Like off the, there's no less than 500 people in an outdoor thing. Wow. The indoor things are the same. The bands are just spot on. They're all crazy with mohawks. Um, but, you know, it's like I keep saying I've only got a few more years in my industry and then I can retire, hopefully. And then I told my wife I want to go on tour and she just cracks up. She goes, sucker, you fucking tour every year. What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. You know, yeah, it's a trip, man. I mean, I just so it's so uh, like I said, it's a, it's a blessing. It's a curse. It's a fucking you know what I mean? It's the best thing I've ever done. It's the worst thing I've ever done at the same time sometimes. You know what I mean? It's it's just, and that's passion. You know what I mean? That's just how passion goes. It's, you know, when you do something because you love it and because you're compelled to, because you're possessed to, you know what I mean? It just, the, all the all the minutia, all the details tend to work themselves out. You know what I mean? Hopefully for the best, but they'll work themselves out regardless. You know what I mean? If that's what you want, but um man yeah, i wanted to i wanted to say it's been great having you on i really appreciate it um uh where can everyone follow you to... huh i was gonna say i was trying to think of a road story oh yeah give it you got a good road a good chaotic road story from the past or something you want to give us <laughs> i'm just trying to yeah um this one was pretty funny that you don't realize when you're in a foreign country how we're so tiny and you think it's all going to be easy um we were in germany and there's saxony and bavaria and one's northern one's southern and we're in the you know the mercedes van we don't have a guy driving us we're driving ourselves with a tom tom for directions and we get this address and we go to this address and we're calling the promoter where it's like 5 p.m. And he goes, where are you? You know, broken German. And we're like, we're at 37 Strata something. Uh, yeah, yeah. Do you see the venue? I said, I see a church. Oh, no, no church. And I'm like, dude, like, I swear in the fucking, and we're in southern Germany. So he says, you Bavaria or Saxony? And we're like, I think it's Saxony is the southern, Bavaria is the northern. We're like, Saxony he goes, oh, no, no. Bavaria, Northern. So literally, oh, no. we drove like six more hours into oh. the night through rain. The club was in a basement, and um, there was probably, I don't know, 300 people in this like bomb shelter thing. They waited for us. The club was giving out free booze. So when we got there, everybody was fucked up. 
literally when we got the people were grabbing the gear they were bringing it in for me i felt kind of like a rock star for just a moment and but no you're just out you're just three hours late to your own show (laughs) that's not that's not the catch halfway there the van runs out of diesel so now we're on like a german road in the middle of nowhere and and like germany is really country if you if you really know the, the the area with giant windmills like palm springs so we run out of fuel, we make it off of an exit, and I'm thinking, you know, are these new ones, do you have to prime them? I'm like, I'll call Mercedes. So I look on the side of the door and there's a phone number. Yeah, I'm gonna get somebody in English. No, it's all fucking in German. I'm like going, oh my fucking God. And now it's like, you know, still about two more hours to go. And I'm thinking it's 11 o'clock, there's, they're gonna cancel it. So I call the promoter, he says, we come to you. And I'm like, Okay, well, all I can see is a Mercedes dealership, and, and I'm making the best German I can out of the exit and the number. So within a couple more hours, they make it to us. It's now midnight. They bring, it looks like like a Rubbermaid little thing you put cleaners in, but it's full of beers. They bring us beers. They bring us diesel. One guy goes back on his own. One, other, one of them rides with us so he can get us there without, you know, fucking trying to figure it out. So we finally get back to this place at like one, two in the morning. People are just shit faced, packed, and we proceed to do our thing and just have the best time. But it was just like one of those times where you, you really realize, you know, the comforts when you're at home and what you can figure out when you're somewhere else, man, you just, you got to just go with it, you know, and you just can't give up. You just fucking figure it out. And yeah, there, there's a lot of interesting little road road stories where you just go, fuck, man, how did we, you know, never, well, I mean, when we, we went uh, in 2018 and went into Croatia, we had to go through Slovenia, and that's kind of scary, you know, yeah. they, look, they look at you up and down, and when we got into Croatia, you notice there's no police, there's just young uh, Russian kids in Mercedes with lots of gold, and they're like running the town, and you, you realize, again, you go back to you're a small fish. Just because you're American and you're in a band. It means nothing. You know, you're yeah. Where are your surroundings? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, totally. I mean, it's, and that's, that's a point where you realize I'm doing this because I love it, <laughs> you know, but you do, you know what I mean? It's just part of the deal. And that's traveling too, you know what I mean? It's, I've been in so many yeah. parts of, of America. I haven't been out of the country that much touring, but so many parts of America and you feel like you're in another country, you know what I mean? I mean, but um, man, it, it's been awesome having you on, dude. Uh, where can people uh, follow you? Where can people uh, you know, keep up with everything? I don't really Facebook, but I'm doing a lot of Instagram and it's Larry.white.666. And um, it'll come up and, you know, I, I throw up, I'm making a lot of clocks out of old symbols, little shameless yeah. self-promotion, self, shameless self take an old symbol and I turn it into some crazy ass art. But, um, yeah. you know, I, um, yeah, I, I don't have a website. I don't sell anything. I, uh, you know, when you see me at a show, that's where I'm at. That's right, man. So, yeah, and you obviously Stalag's always busy. Uh, there's also rumblings of a new version coming around. Well, so yeah, let's yeah. drop this now. Um, in '86, me and Ron took Stalag and wanted to do a metal thing because it was starting to do the crossover thrash, and we actually did some recordings. Those will be released by next year. Uh, 
it will probably be called Stalag 13, but it'll be comparable to the Doctrine of Kyle, Doctrine of Brandon. So you just have to pay attention to which. <laughs> yeah. On the flyer or the marquee or where you'll definitely be able to tell the difference in the music for sure. You know what I mean? It will not be, you know, what you're used to. Yeah. But it, it in itself is a very fun idea and I'm looking forward to it. So keep an eye open for a uh, second coming. Yeah. As soon as we can ever play music again. You know what I mean? <laughs> you know. Yeah. Well, thank All you right. again, man. I appreciate it. Likewise, man. All right, see you, everybody.